Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober. The podcast for the sober and sober curious. If you love the Love Sober podcast and it's helped you to get, stay or love sober, you can support us by heading over to patreon.com forward slash love sober pod and contributing one pound per episode. Thanks so much for your support. Hi and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for sober and sober curious. And today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by David Wilson. David, and he's aka Sober Dave. So you'll know him as Sober Dave, I reckon. We all know Sober Dave, don't we? We know and love Sober Dave. Oh, what an intro. Thank you, Kate. That's lovely. I know. But you're also, you're not just Sober Dave, you're a coach, you're a motivational speaker as well, and you're an ambassador for Alcohol Change UK. So you're really busy in the sober sphere and doing some amazing, amazing work. So basically, you are an all-round legend as well. So I'll thanks for coming that. on. Thank you. Yay, so how are you doing? We always start with a check-in. How are you doing? I'm really good, actually. I'm glad we're doing this this morning because I recorded my own podcast yesterday afternoon at three o'clock. And it was probably 120 degrees in this office where I am in the garden. And I couldn't even have the fan on because it would have interfered with the audio. And when I come out, I was three stone lighter. So I'm really pleased it's a morning one. Yeah. It's like you're really suffering for your art. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I I mean, we were chatting earlier and like, this is not about me, but quite weirdly, synchronistically not synchronistically it's my five year sober anniversary today i know it's amazing i know and so i was like i said to mans i think we should re- record a podcast but we're both we're both knackered so i was like no i'll just talk to dave i'll just talk to dave instead and me and dave will have a party so we're gonna dive in and we're not you know you've said as well you're you're vocal about your story and stuff so we're not going to spend too long on diving into what brought you to the decision to go alcohol free but we will give a bit of context because it's kind of nice to to remind you You probably feel like you've said it a million times but I haven't heard it a million times so I'd just like to yeah I'd, I'd like to hear it and I'm sure our listeners would too okay so I'll try and keep it brief but um I think I was um a typical teenage lad I started drinking when I was 14 like a lot of us and um you know, I loved a beer. I had a bit of a trauma when I was 14. I think that's what kicked it all off. But in general, I think I was the lad that played a lot of sport, went clubbing, but never really drank in a week unless it was an occasion, you know. Into my 20s was the same. Go on holiday, have mad holidays, like literally on it all day and all night. Um, but I think it was in my 30s that I started to get a problem because I started to go to a local pub that my neighbour went to, uh, introduced me to a load of guys in there, and um, I became a regular. Um, so I used to dive in after work most nights, leave the van there and walk home. But then after a while, I used to go in the office over the road and start buying bottles of wine and that to have when I got home because it was never enough. And that's where it started, my spiral of drinking indoors, which is always a really bad decision. Um, and then I moved when I was 40, and I bought a cottage sort of out in the sticks a little bit. And it was too far from the pub, so then I started to drink indoors all the time. Um, and I put on quite a bit of weight um, drinking probably two or three bottles of wine a night, a few beers at the weekends and whatever. So I Googled um, what alcohol has the least amount of calories, which vodka came up. So I bought a bottle of vodka, instantly took to that because I could get drunk really, really quickly. Um, And that's when I really, really got in trouble. Uh, And I ended up most evenings drinking a litre a night. And at weekends that I would mix that with your bottle of wine thrown in, the odd beers, lunchtime, whatever. Um, And at that time, I was working on a a makeover program called 60 Minute Makeover as a handyman. So 
off the back of that drinking indoors, I was also going on the show and was staying away in hotels and we would stay up till three, four in the morning uh, and then be absolutely trolled and then get up at six, start all over again. One day I went to sunny Wandsworth and did a makeover there for a woman called Emma Campbell. Um, got chatting with her and then she's actually now my wife. And, um, you know, it was a long story. She was diagnosed with cancer the day before our first date. And we basically cracked on with it. We didn't even know each other. But one of the first times we met was in the chemo ward. But she didn't know I had a problem with boozing because I, I held it back from her. You know, I kept it behind closed doors, you know. Um, decided to sell my house and move in because um, she had a plot of land out the back and we built a lovely extension and she still wasn't really aware of it. And when I moved in, um, it was, I mean, I use this analogy and it's not really fair, but it was like going to prison because the narrative was so different. You know, I'd had 10 years living on my own in my cottage in the sticks, basically doing what I wanted to do. And when I moved in with them, I couldn't really drink. She didn't know the extent of my drinking. And also she's got four kids. And I, so I was almost forced to do cold turkey from the off. So I think I kind of went mad in the first month, you know. But then, of course, being an addict, I couldn't hold it back. So I started to introduce alcohol into the family living, you know. Do you want a bottle of wine tonight? And Em was never really a drinker. She was one that could literally not have a drink for a month. Mm. And uh, it wouldn't bother her. But so gradually I introduced it and then gradually started to hide it. Uh, and then after a while she realised that things weren't as they were. I was becoming really argumentative, um, falling asleep on the sofa. The kids started to notice it. And then we were in real, real trouble then, you know. And uh, I isolated myself because I was really hooked into my addiction of I used to blame the kids for all the noise and the mess and that. And you know what it's like, Kate? It's any excuse to have a drink, good day, bad day, anything day. So I used to use that. And um, it got to a stage that I um, kind of left home on a, a big tantrum day. And I said, I'm going. I'm there. And I ended up in Eastbourne and I went mad. Literally, I was in the pub all day, bought a bottle of vodka just for the pubs were kicking out and sat on the beach and I nearly killed myself. And, I, and I, I, I did four days of that. And I don't know how I survived that. I really don't. I was in a really terrible way. I cut on my face on the beach where I fell over. And and um, that still wasn't enough. You know, I came back, went to the doctors. That wasn't enough. And I had several more rock bottoms. And it was in January 2019 that I just got up one day and um, thought that's it, you know. It was almost like a voice from God because my neighbour is very religious and he's a big man, he's like a big towering lump of a man. And he sent me a text and he said, how do you feel about giving up alcohol with me for three months to see where you will be in your life, your marriage, your health, etc." And I, to be honest, Kate, I looked at it and I laughed. I was like, are you serious? I just, I didn't, because the thing was, I didn't plan to give up. This is the weird thing. But subliminally along the way, I kept saying, I know I've got to do something about it. And I, I kind of did know that something drastic, it couldn't be that, well, I'm going to cut down and, and then eventually I can stop. It, I'm, I'm a real all or nothing person. You know? And later that day, it trickled in and I walked along to see him and he stood there all big and proud and that and I shook his hand and that was it. That was two and a half years ago now and uh, I've never, I know it's a cliche, but I have honestly never looked back. That's amazing. Well done. Well done, you. I assume it is quite, it's very interesting that you were like, you weren't planning to do it. <laughs> from like from a kind of a typically female kind of perspective where it's all about the planning the thinking yeah. the deciding the regretting the planning the planning the more planning and I, what was it what do you think was it was that literally clicked for you in that moment do you know 
It's this is a um, an interesting question because my mum was really ill in October before that, um, and she died the day before her seventy ninth birthday. And I was with her when she died. I was holding her hand, and I was going through her journey because she she didn't blink for three hours. And her eyes turned the most incredible blue. And she was just looking up ahead, ahead of herself. And I was saying to her mum, it's time now. You know, it's time to go. And I told her I loved her. And the, the thing about that was, Kate, was that that was part of my trauma when I was young because she left home. And that's when I started drinking. And when she died... I kind of made amends with her, you know, like by telling her I loved her, I told her she was the best mum I could have ever had, although it was a tricky past, you know. And about a month later, she came into my dreams and I I was in this old house and I walked into this old room. I didn't know where I was. And she was sitting on this chair and she was about 40 and she was immaculate, absolutely immaculate. And she sat there and she said, David, I want you to know that I'm okay. I'm really okay. And that's all I remember. But when I woke up in the morning, it was the most realistic experience I ever had. Mm-hmm. Right. And apparently it's quite common just after someone dies that you get visited. Because be honest, if you're walking around Sainsbury's and, and you bump into your mum, it, it's not going to be so uh, easy to take, is it? But it kind of made me think, God, she must know what I'm doing here. And and it was almost like that really, really helped me to put things in perspective. Mm. And I honestly feel she's helped me because I gave up and I've never, ever had a single sip of alcohol since. And that really helps me to focus as well, that she's helping me and supporting me along this way. And to be honest, Kate, I'm not really religious or anything. Mm. I'm really not. But I believe in a greater power. I believe in the universe. I believe in the power of thought, you know, positive thinking and stuff. And and it's that thing, isn't it? If it helps someone... Like you get people go to prison and they find God. Well, if that helps them, that is fantastic. You know, we're all on our journey, aren't we? And in whatever way, we all got our own ways of dealing with life and whatever, and whatever tools you can use to help, then that's fantastic. So I think that gave me a real sort of jolt of, God, my mum's seeing me drinking like this and she, she really wouldn't be happy with it. So... Mm. it's really interesting because it's like you know when you were talking I wrote down the word perspective and it was like yeah there's something when we are in that whole drinking mindset that we don't have any perspective and so for whatever reason on some level whatever gives that perspective that outside just a glimmer because that's what you need isn't it it's like a glimmer a possibility a shift and it sounds like there was something like deep down like there was some kind of paradigm shift that happened but it was almost like it was subconscious as it was like in your dreams and stuff yeah yeah I, I kept saying to em because she never ever told me to stop i mean she tried to say to me look can you try and moderate and, well, we know what that means. I mean, that's never going to happen, is it? And, and no. you know, I bought a bottle of wine on one day and we shared it. And I'd rather have had none because that just teased me, you know. Mm. And after two or three nights, I bought one bottle in and hid two, you know. So yeah. that, that would never work. But I just saw her as well. Some days she looked absolutely washed out and, and shattered because I knew that it was... A nightmare for her. Mm. Living with a man that would disappear at eight, nine o'clock every night through drunkenness. Mm. And uh, not, you know, wake up every morning and her husband's not next to her. And she she knew that I'd passed out on the sofa and, you know, stuff like that. And I used to say to her, I know I've got 
I know I've got to do something about it. I know I've got to do something. That's all I would say. Mm. But to me, it wasn't empty words because I knew that I had to do something about it, you know. Mm. But it was when, and as you say about the planning, there was no planning. I hadn't planned it. I just mm. knew I had to do it. Mm. And maybe that was my way of saying to myself, Dave, you've got to sort yourself out, mate, because you're going to literally lose everything. Mm. Health is diabolical. Um, I was 20 stone then. Mm. Uh, my blood pressure was 184 over 126, and my doctor said I could just drop down dead. Mm. And, and bearing in mind, Kate, that I've been quite active all my life, you know, I've been quite sporty in that. And I'd look in the mirror and think, what have you become? Mm. Like, it's quite interesting as well because you were doing that DIY and it, it made me think, oh, you know, there was that practicality. It was like, okay, well, uh, we just got to crack. We've got to get the job done now. And it was like, that was it. It's like, like okay, yeah, maybe DIY but, now. I'm incredibly um, powerful with my mindset. It's like mm. with smoking years ago, I just chucked them out the window. Mm. All right, bad for the litter. But at the time, I just looked at them and said, see you later and that was it I've never had a fag since and I never will you know and it was a bit like that with drinking but I think with this this time round I've also had to really be mindful of what it actually means it's not something that you could just stop and then not think about the yeah the thing you know and as I've always said like whether you call it the beer monster or the wine which is always around me it's in this room now and I've suppressed it is. But if I, if there was one moment, if I said to you and the listeners here, hey, do you know what, Kate? I really fancy a drink now. His ears are prick up and go, hello, he's been quiet for a while. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's my my lucky day. And it would chip away at me throughout mm-hmm. the day. And then tonight I'd be craving, oh, I'd love a bit. You know, and that's, you've got to be really, really mindful of it all the time. And that one day at the time is so important. There's no good being complacent. You know, you're five years sober today, and I know you're not complacent. You know, you just can't afford to do that. No, it's true, isn't it? And and what what else sort of helps you to yeah? What's in your kind of toolkit that make makes how how do you work your sobriety? Well, I work it in lots of different ways. Actually, um, I'm incredibly proud of my sobriety. So. Um, I think we're going to talk about the stigma of alcoholism later on, but I there's no one, anyone can say to me that will ever faze me um, because I'm really proud about it. Um, I, like yourself, I'm a grey area drinking coach and, and helping people really helps me as well. Uh, and it levels me out. I always remember a programme years ago called Back to the Floor, and it was about the executive or the managing director or CEO where they've worked themselves up and every now and again they will go back to the factory floor mm, you know that. and I, I'm really really passionate about keeping myself level about remembering how it was for me rather than just going on and on and on and then losing that perspective of how awful it is to wake up and feel lost and alone mm. and no one understands so that helps me um you know, like yourself, I do my podcast. So I talk to some amazing guests on that. And being part of a huge community as well, you know. I had an event a couple of weeks ago. I didn't see you there, actually, Kate, which was devastating. No. Do you know what? I I mean, I don't see – I've started seeing your posts now. But I don't – I think Instagram algorithms have changed. I've not – I'm really shit at Instagram anyway. But I don't see them. So – the first thing I knew about it was when I met up with Emily for lunch, um, Lee, the gay sober, and Mand, because Mand was in London. I found out about it the day before because they were going, Emily was going. And so I was just like, oh, no. And then I couldn't because I had childcare. Yeah, yeah. Well, no. they're being that one, Yeah, exactly. But, that, you know, people one, but things like that. Brilliant. And, and, the, the power of community is fantastic. Mm. You know, we all say the opposite of uh, addiction is connection, and it's true yeah. um, because it's so powerful. Um, and doing things like this with you, you know, it, it's getting the message out. And I think if it helps one person, mm. then it's worth it. I'm doing a talk in a college in September amongst 16 to 18 year olds talking about addiction. And, um, you know, I'm looking at maybe 
hopefully, fingers crossed. I'm very scared. Mm. Um, maybe doing a TED talk this year. Yeah, it's uh, maybe yeah. an opportunity. And the thing is, when you get on this path of discovery, there is endless joy. You know, you still have the ups and downs. Of course you do, real life. But it opens up so many doors where before the doors were like bolted, but they're bolted by yourself, aren't they? Because you really limit the yeah. life by drinking it. My life was so limited. It was like I had big blinkers on and I wasn't seeing the view around me. Mm. Now I've ripped them off and I realise what I've missed really. But... Mm. You know, I can't do anything about that, but just no, because that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, well, we're going to talk about the stigma about it, and we talked about the shame about it, but I, I can't just before I forget, I because me and Mandy, we just we generally work with women, so we're sort of into we feel sort of intimately involved with the female conversation about why women drink and, and our big part of a big part of our mission and our work is is reframing any kind of sort of traditional pathways to recovery from a female perspective when they traditionally were male for many years yeah with like AA and you know those kind of programs with the language and stuff but it there are so many men who struggle with alcohol and I don't think they're being supported either and I want to know I know you can't speak for the whole of men but what could you identify as what do you think men need what's missing for men in our kind of weird screwed up society that is causing them to drink what what are your thoughts on that I think that um traditionally men and I'm not generalizing but in in Maine men don't really talk about that much, right? So that's why I'm passionate about getting the message out there because you know me that I talk about anything, right? I talk. I think, I don't know if it's still on, but I'm actually um, talking at Meg's Menopause's conference. I mean, <laughs> that's... You having a menopause? Yeah, a menopause, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there are only a few. I mean, my followers on Instagram are 84% women. Yeah. And the men are curtain twitters. So I might get an odd DM saying, oh, Dave, I'm having problems. But they, they rarely talk to their friends about it. So I think feeling comfortable to talk about it is really, really essential. And that's why I have my platform. And you get guys like Rock Sober. Mm. Uh, I've been recently talking to a guy called Tana Hassan, who's a great advocate for mental health and... Is he one of those, the, the queer eye for the straight guy? No. Is that Tanner? No, that's Tan. Okay. But, you know, I, I think it's all about making it comfortable to discuss, you know. And, you know, like yourself, I'm a greater drinking coach. Well, probably 95% of my clients are women as well. Yeah. Because men seem to go past that. Yeah. And they, they go to where I did and they hit the rock bottom and sometimes they need the medical assistance, or if not, they just try and do it themselves because they don't want to talk about it. And hence in comes the stigma of alcoholism. Um, mm. Because recently I put on my Instagram the post with Sarah Drage, who, whose dad, Steve, um, was an alcoholic, and there, he had three daughters, Sarah being one of them. And it was... a a lovely family you could tell that he really loved them and whatever but he he was addicted to alcohol and and they said to him many a time dad you need to reach out for help and he wouldn't because of the stigma surrounding it that people shamed him and and she used to hear things like well it was inevitable when he died because he, he drank like a fish and stuff like that and rather than saying well actually he's a human being that he's addicted to a a drug that is promoted throughout society everywhere you look, you know. And I, because Steve, her dad, was two years older than me, I really wish that I'd have known her before so I could have reached out to him and talked to him 
you know. And most men that do talk to me actually feel quite comfortable because I'm a six-foot bloke covered in tattoos. I don't look like they're traditional, like, counselling guy or, you know, I, I look like a bloke off the street and normalises things. I'm a straight talker. And most men I talk to, I can kind of get to the bottom of a lot of things, you know. Mm. And the surface of it is I just like a beer with a few lads and I haven't got a problem, what you're talking about and whatever. But when you get underneath, there are mm. problems that um, women have with mental health problems and depression and anxiety yeah and the emotional blunting they just disguise it with the mm. banter that men have you know and the denial surrounded about it like i just you know that whole thing and i used to say it myself i haven't got a problem i just like a few beers mm. well it's not actually a few beers is it it's three bottles of wine a night or a bottle of vodka you know yeah so i think there's and things are changing kate they definitely yeah. are and and what I find as well is that um, a lot of women signpost their husbands or boyfriends or sons or brothers. They signpost them to me. And quite often I say to them, let's just have a discovery call. Let's just chat for 20 minutes, no commitment. I'm not going to force you into any kind of program or anything like that. But let's talk about it. And and quite often that that's a start. Mm. You know, that's a little stepping stone to get someone to feel open enough to talk to someone who's not going to judge them on anything yeah and you know that you're just sort of like like making my brain light up with things like you know the obviously the sort of the big sort of words that get bandied around that kind of toxic masculinity but there's that minimizing of feelings isn't there there's that there's that minimising, oh, I'll just crack on with it, never mind, you know, whatever, I'm just going to get on with it. Um, and the other thing is, that I think, that's really changed in the sober community, and, and it it's that being able to see it, you know, to, to be it, that kind of, that thing. And I think, like you're saying, you're providing that, that accessible point. It's like, oh, I can relate to you. I can relate to you because, like you say, you're a practical bloke. You've got lots of tattoos. You haven't got a posh voice. You're not going to use psychobabble on people. And it's really important to be able to see something that you might relate to. And that's the sort of genius of the online sober community, what, you know, people have been able to do, really, and create. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I love what I love what you're, you're doing. And I'd really like to talk a bit more about yeah that well I'll tell you what I'm just gonna talk briefly about my dad just really quickly because it really resonated with me and my father I didn't know him from the sort of age of about seven but he was in the navy and I mean we're going back 60s and 70s here um and I've had a real piecing together since having my son and realizing there's neurodiversity in our family so the sort of ADHD and stuff and the sort of the autism spectrum running right through that we never ever had diagnosed but my father died of you know alcohol related issues he was as anyone would understand it an alcoholic um and my mum said when we unpicked it much later she said yeah I think he did definitely struggled when he went away to sea he missed his little family um and he was uh, they were given tots of rum as part of their payment on the boat and they weren't given leave to go home and I was like that is just so tragic like how like you said how things could have been different for our family how things could have been different for that young man at that point he was a young man away from home you know and Mm. I was like well I think things are changing and Mm. you know thank god for people like you talking about it you know making it accessible but you know what, that's, that's made me feel quite sad, actually. But when I do work with clients or I have discovery calls with men, I quite often ask about their children and what their relationship's like. And I spoke to someone the other day and he had a six-year-old and I said, you have the real opportunity now of changing everything and not just for you, but for them 
because they're probably young enough now to to not have that majorly affect them and you can turn that around quickly if you carry on the way you are Mm. that could be a disaster and you know and I'm quite straightforward about it because you know like we both know people um affected by alcoholism um from a child you know work with Nicola yeah you know and, and organizations like that you know and we and we see the devastation that's caused in families by this awful illness disease and I think it's such a relevant conversation to have because I think with men it needs to be more punching hard hitting mm. you know get down to the real grassroots and say listen mate this is the potential damage that you can cause rather than kind of tiptoe around their emotions and whatever because I just think it's you know I always think mm. like you just said I'm practical a lot of men are practically thinking you know and if you give it to them two smoking barrels I feel like it's more prominent for them respond that that. to that you know what I mean yeah. so, two smoking barrels and here's the practical and here's yeah. the support and here's your, your sober mates that yeah. you're going to hang out with because you do actually need a group of men to hang out with as well. Yeah, and yeah. There, are, there are groups, you know. I, I did a talk, um, you know, Scott Pearson. Yeah, lovely Scott. Scott, and uh, I did a talk on uh, male sobriety and stuff, and, and um, Timmy Essex was there. Oh, who, yeah. A stripper. And he was sitting next to me, and he is ripped, absolutely ripped. But what a lovely, lovely guy. And he was shaking like a leaf next to me. So... He can get on a stage and take all his clothes off and not bat an eyelid yet. Talking about this was mm. scary for him, but he, he smashed it, you know. And and there was another guy who's a fireman, Darren, he's a personal trainer, and he lost a friend through a night out where he came back and they were all absolutely slaughtered and, and like making Sam toasted sandwiches and whatever. His mate laid on the floor. And he was like, oh, man, just leave me here. I'm comfy and whatever. And he said, no, get up to bed, mate. He said, no, leave me here, man. I'll see you in the morning. And when he got up in the morning, he, he was dead. That's um, just horrendous. And, and it, it hit him like a ton of bricks. And he went on a mad bender for six months after that. Mm. Ironically, his nephew, who was really young, said to him, Uncle Darren, you don't look so good. And that that was enough to make oh, him. But I've got yeah. to stop now, you know. And he's a big man. He's like six foot eight, fireman, personal trainer. Yet he had let this addiction get the better of him, you know. And mm. now he's like me. He doesn't care what people think. It's like I'm sober. I'm living my best life. Whatever you think is all your own stuff, you know. It's holding yeah. a mirror up to them. And and if people don't like it, well, you know. You're going to lose people when you give up drinking, but that's fine because they're not your real friends anyway. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So what, um, what other stuff are you up to at the moment? Um, I'm doing quite a bit actually. Um, my podcast is doing really well. I've finished season one that went into the top 10 of health and wellness that's well uh, done, dude. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know I was going to do it until about a month before. But again, a bit like me and my giving up drinking, I'll come up with something and then I... <laughs> you do it. I, people say I might be a little bit obsessive, but there you go. Um, and yeah, I've been recording season two. I was going to write a book with Penguin, but it didn't quite align with what we both wanted. So I've sacked that off a little bit. It's not really in my thing. But yeah, I think now we're coming out of lockdown... I'm getting a few opportunities to do some more public speaking, you know. Mm-hmm. So although I'm a bit nervy about that, I, I feel like that's the next step for me, you know. The college thing in front of the 16 to 18-year-olds, um, that you know, there, there's a few invitations coming along that I think could be great, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, generally just enjoying what I'm doing. I mean, I don't – I was in the carpet game for 40 years, I never would have thought I'd change career, but I have. <laughs> I'm yeah. like semi-retired now. I just swan around with my cravat on and my <laughs> herbal tea and my chihuahua. 
on a lead. <laughs> and and I, I absolutely love it, you know. Mm. I really love it. Yeah. And like, you, you know, I think one thing that really runs through all of this, you know, there's the practical stuff, but there's the meaning and purpose bit that's really important isn't it it's like what gives your life meaning like you've got to have that in there you know what though Kate it's it's a working journey isn't it that through lockdown I did put on weight like a lot of us right Mm. and I realized actually that a few weeks ago um I saw a picture of myself and I couldn't believe it and it was almost like overnight yeah, and I thought I've really got to do. I'm not actually living my best life. I'm not drinking. Mm. Like it was the the needless picking up of food throughout the day that it adds up, right? Yeah. Like Em would make um, some homemade sausage rolls, and there'd be four on a plate left. I'd have probably picked up three and just eaten them, even if I wasn't hungry. Yeah. So I thought it's not just the external weight; it's the internal, the visceral fat, isn't it? So I went to the gym. Yeah. My local uh, gym. And I went in there and it was weird because I sat down and this woman walked past me and she's gone, Sober Dave, like that. And I've gone, oh, hello. And she went, how are you? Because this PT is sober. Anyway, afterwards, she come up to me and she said, do you want me to help you with some personal training? And I said, yeah. So I booked up for four months, right? And I started three weeks ago. And mm. I've lost nine pounds already. I've what completely time? changed my diet, like completely. I'm not eating any rubbish at mm. all. Um, and do you know what? That's been easier than what I thought it would be because it makes me realise how much junk I was putting in my gob. Mm. Um, and it's hard, but I once I've finished the PT list, I, I walk there, walk back, and I come out, and I'm like buzzing. And the important thing in this, Kate, is that when I gave up drinking, I came off antidepressants, right? But when we went into lockdown, I couldn't handle it. Being stuck at home week in, week out. And, you know, I've I've got four stepkids living here, you know, and, and triplets, you know, three of them are triplets. And it is really difficult, actually. Mm. So I went back on antidepressants and it was only a few weeks ago that I was going to ring the doctors and ask him to double my dose because I wasn't in a good place Mm. at all. Even though I'm doing all this, mental health is really, it just gets you, doesn't it, out of the blue sometimes. And I I was waking up some mornings and thinking, I don't even want to get out of bed, you know. And since I've been doing these classes and go into the gym on my own and I've been doing at least 10,000 steps a day and stuff. The improvement in my mood is unbelievable, like unbelievable. And in fact, I'm considering doing the opposite soon and telling them that I want to halve the dose that I'm already on and eventually come off them. And that is, I honestly believe that is from me moving throughout the day uh, having a focus, being accountable to the personal trainer. I've got a nutritionist who's approached me on Instagram and she's set me up a complete plan to get the right protein in and, mm. and whatever. And it's changed. It's It'll almost be like, like Timmy Essex. Well, yeah, to be between you and me, no one's listening, but oh, that's my aim. But <laughs> she, she wants me to lose three stones. She yeah. said that'd be my fighting weight, you know. And, and, I'm excited about it because yeah. it was when I gave up drinking and, and my friend Piers said to me, give up for three months to see where you would be. I'm looking at forward to seeing what I'd be like in three months of mm. my weight loss, my yeah. muscle tone. It's having positive goals, isn't it? It's like mm. that accountability. Because I did the similar thing in um, January. I, and the first training session, I was so badass. I got a PT. <laughs> And we couldn't meet indoors, but I was like, you know what? I do, I do such a lot of yoga, but I was like, I need to do something else. Like I don't need to, to do that. I need something a bit hardcore. And I went out and we did our first training session in minus three. And he's this big dude. And we were down on the school park on the school playing fields. And I felt so badass, but it was about something having that face to face someone for me. It's like investment in me. 
because you, it, they do. It's like it is like that self care. It's like okay, let's work on your goals. Let's work, and they're giving their energy to you, aren't they? So important. They are an accountability as well because yeah. they walk past the gales and and they got a freshly baked pan of chocolate in the window, and you're looking at it and, and you think, oh my god. It does help you think, do you know what? I've worked really hard in the last few weeks. I don't want it. And that and that's yeah. how I work, you know. I, I so I'm gonna hit my goal. Yeah. Lose this weight, and I know that I'm gonna feel a lot better with my mental health. Mm. And then see what happens after that. But it, it's a work in progress, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that is, I think what you've said as well, there is, and it's a good lesson for all of us. Like we all have to be mindful. And I know that I've definitely hit this point for myself and I've definitely gone back to drinking, you know, seven years ago, I'd gone on, you know, I had a year over a year and I went back to it because I did not have that awareness or support and life was impactful and I didn't have the toolkit so it's like okay what do I need to keep myself well and I guess that's what I was like what is recovery that is the kind of recovery process isn't it it's like what okay I don't in imbibe that substance but what what do I do now to look after myself to manage my mental health my physical health my creativity my emotional side it's it's all of that that we work on afterwards absolutely um, which is so important yeah well done. I can't wait to see the three month on and then the, and then the six month on. And then well, I took the picture before, so yeah. I can send you that in my pants, but <laughs> I think you probably prefer the third <laughs> one. <laughs> I remember us having a chat about my when we actually it's probably our first chat over WhatsApp. And it very quickly disintegrated into talking about pants and the fact that my husband's called Dave and he jumps into his pants and then rates that his entry out of like 70% entry. If it's above 70%, like i.e. he's got one foot all the way through on the floor and at least half the other foot, it's going to be a good day. But if it's like less than 70% entry, it's not looking good. Like we've got to tiptoe around him. Has he ever done them in one go, like both feet in at one go? Because I think he'd like to say yes, but I'm not sure I've ever seen that. Yeah, no, I have seen it once or twice. I've been with him for about 28 years now. I think I don't know how long it is, but like, like a long time we've been together. So I've seen this many times and that I can count the number of 100% entry on like, you know, one hand, I think. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how... Um, a conversation about addiction can deteriorate to the level so quickly about <laughs> discussing one's pant entry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we knew we'd we knew we'd end up there, surely. It's like yeah. back to the shop floor, isn't it? I know, it's I've like... got I've got I've got it written down on my uh, post-it. It must talk about the pants. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and you know, I, I'm th- I'm still thinking about rebranding and getting my sober Dave pants out there with my logo on the front. And a big sober Dave on the back. I think you should. No, I just think that'd be amazing. And I will gift your husband Dave his own yeah. special pant selection. Yeah. Um, in multi colours, even. I think that'd be good. I really do because, like, because you know, men don't buy pants very often, do they? So I think that that would be an you know, actual like a service to the community, Dave. As well as your... help men talk because they could talk about their pants, and then that could lead on to. Yeah, uh, who's if they share something really vulnerable, they'll get a bit an extra pair of pants. They kind of get their big boy pants. It. <laughs> there we go. We've sorted it out. There you go. There's your marketing campaign sorted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so wicked to talk to you, Dave. Um, it's really nice. I'm sorry it's taken so long. We've been trying to get it in, haven't we, for a while, but. We have been difficult, and, and I feel stuff. really privileged. It's on your um, five-year anniversary oh, day. Oh, I do as well. It's really nice. I think that's absolutely amazing. What are you going to do today to celebrate? Wear Dave's pants? Yeah, I might, actually. I might jump into some pants myself. Yeah. Um, do you know, I don't know. I, I, I kind of celebrate it by keeping it real I think I, it's been a really busy time like amazing but really really busy we're working on on our book as our second book at the moment so I do have to do a bit of work and I just feel like I need my feet on the ground 
you know, like I feel like I really need to be present in my own life a bit at the moment because I'm quite knackered. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I'll just kind of pick up some dog shit or something, just keep myself real today. Well, I was going to say, you know, like some of the techniques in our grey area drinking is grounding, which is walking okay. around mm. on, the, on the ground, on, on the lawn. With bare feet. Bare feet. Yeah. But if there's dog shit all over it, then there I is. And that. guinea pigs and chickens. I got them oh, as well. So. I honestly wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> Maybe some meditation or... Yeah. Or some polyvagal things. That's my bag. Yeah. You know? So Yeah. So um yeah, but I'll do I'll do something. I think I'll go and treat myself to a nice coffee though in a minute. Okay. You go and do that. Yeah. With a nice hot pan of chocolate from Gales. Oh yeah, I might do. I might do. Since it's five years. I should do something. Go for it. Yeah. So before we wrap up, we always finish with a reason to love sober and a tip of the day. So give us your tip of the day first. I think the tip of the day would be to start your day with intention. I think that's really important. When you get up, you can always reset your day as well. So you might kick the cat and spill the tea on a new cream carpet and whatever, but you can always reset. And I think if you go into your day with a positive affirmation could be gratitude it could be today i will not drink um today i'm gonna do three acts of kindness or what whatever it is i think that can really really set your day off well mm. and stick to it and uh I, I try and do that every day i get up really early actually i get up five o'clock every morning um i am part of the 5am club yeah. So I think starting your day on a positive note is really, really important because some days you do get out of bed wrong and you go, and whatever, mm. but you can turn that around. Mm. That's yeah, that. I love that. Secret of our success is hidden in our daily routine. It is indeed. Yeah. And what's your reason to love sober today? I think it's the incredible rewards that you get you know and i call it a journey of discovery you know like the things that i've done in the last two and a half years i didn't even know i was capable of you know i really didn't i mean i was doing a counseling course three or four years ago and i've kind of failed it miserably in the end because i was just like a clown um and i'd love to do it again really but I might and I might not, but I, I, I just think it, it offers so many gifts. And I think I always say to some people, write down on a bit of paper, draw a line down the middle and write down the benefits of what alcohol brings to your life against the cons, you know, and and, and you find that there aren't. That it, there's about two or three in one side and on the other you think of your health your wellness your relationships your positivity your mental health there's so many things that you gain from being sober um and try not to worry about the things that get in your way like how am i going to have a sober holiday how am i it's my birthday soon don't think about them it's like training isn't it for a, a, a marathon you start with a sofa to 5k and then you progress to 10k and then you run your marathon, you know, it's it's all a work in progress and you've got to take each day and one day you will get there. And and talking about sober holidays, Kate, I've had four. And one of them, we were gifted one by Lorraine Kelly on the Lorraine show. And it was um, in the mountains in Crete. And every morning I would get up and I would lay in the infinity pool watching the sun go up. Mm. And, and it, it was like you would never have that if you were drinking because you'd be laying in bed feeling sorry for yourself, mm. thinking about what time you can start drinking, whether you get away with drinking lunchtime, and then the cycle goes round again. So it's it's appreciating what's around you in life, I think. And by removing alcohol in your life gives you a real huge opportunity to do that, no matter what age you are. And I, as you see, I'm 98, so you're never too old, eh? <laughs> I love it. No, 100%. And it's just brilliant to talk to you, Dave. Thanks so much for coming on. 
Um, yeah, and look forward to just kind of seeing what goes on, you know, meeting up in real life. I've never met you. I can't believe it. We did I've the sober sessions. No, we haven't, have we? Okay, I've never well. met you. We've done the sober sessions for months on end, <gasps> and we've we've done lots of bits. You've done a live with me and that, and yeah. I think we oh, should shit. wear our really big glasses actually when we meet each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we won't recognise each other because like because it's got the zoom filter. We'll actually look about. We will look like ninety eight, even though we're kind of really on. If you put a filter on, I haven't. No, this I didn't say that. <laughs> Oh no, I've let the cat out of the bag. Yeah, there's a tip there. You can put a filter on, Dave. Oh, right, you don't do need it. a filter. Damn. On that note, we're going to wrap up. Thank you so much. Um, and if you're immediately concerned about your drinking, do reach out. Send up a flare info at lovesober.com or send up a flare to Dave. He's at Sober Dave at, on Instagram. Dave Wilson, davidwilsoncoaching.com. Yeah, it's your coaching that. site. Yeah. Um, you're all over the place. We're, I'm going to put all the links in the show notes so that you can find Dave. Um, yeah, but just send out a flare. Know that you're not alone. Um, lots of spaces online. If you don't vibe with one, find another one. There's lots and lots of places. So just keep looking till you find your fit. And Alcohol Change have amazing agencies of local support and lots of information. And we'll see you ne- for next week for more chat. If you love the Love Sober podcast and it's helped you to get, stay or love sober, you can support us by heading over to patreon.com forward slash love sober pod and contributing one pound per episode. Thanks so much for your support. Bye from us.